Fantastic. Why don't we give Marie a big hand this morning? Thank you so much. I know she had a sore throat this morning, but we thank God for that gift that he's given her and for her faithfulness towards God. Well, welcome this morning, and uh, it's always exciting to get together uh, when we come together as a community. And I know there's many, many visitors here today, and we want to give you a really special welcome. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. My name's Nick Weskey, and uh, this morning, last night, actually, I organized a Easter egg hut for my, uh, hunt for my wife and I, and I woke up and I forgot where I put the Easter eggs. So, you know, it's not good as you get older, and I'm not sure chocolate helps your mind. But anyway, we're here. I don't know about you, but you know, every time we listen to the news, there's always bad news. And uh, you, you sort of, you know, come away from that half hour or that hour and you just feel depressed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'd, I'd like to have a station where we just have good news because we need some good news. And you know, Easter is about not just good news, but about great news, that through Jesus Christ and our God who raised Him from the dead, we can have hope. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do around Easter Sunday. Today we could have shared, uh, you know, through Scripture and the Word, but there's always, there's always a great place to hear about how God's resurrection power has actually changed somebody's life. And so this morning... We've asked one of our young men in our church, and I'm so thankful for our young men and women in our church, who years ago was impacted not just by the salvation message of Christ, but by his resurrection power. And through his own experience, he experienced the hope of God and his healing power. Dan Andrews is going to come in a minute. Um, he's a great young man. And uh, he's a very talented young man. He's a musician. He's a drummer. He's a, a piano player. Uh, you know, God spoke to him and speaks to him through music. You'll be amazed how God wants to speak to us. Sometimes, you know, music is so powerful. He created music. And, and I can see God touch his life through music. He's, a, he's also a businessman. He's a general manager of his company. Actually, the signs that you see around our church, particularly the Uni Hills sign outside our church that lights up so brightly during the night. It's even brighter than the cold sign. I mean, it blinds you. You know, he just he just got his company to put more lights in. He says, well, I want this really bright uh, because our church is a place of hope. And uh, he's experienced God's healing power. He's also very good looking. And uh, I want you to give him a big, big warm welcome as he comes this morning and just share some thoughts with us. How are we all doing? Good to hear. Sometimes life doesn't always go to plan. And often our dreams, ambitions, aspirations and goals can all of a sudden be dismantled or even shattered by forces totally out of our control. Well, at least that's been my experience. I'm here today to share with you my story. The significance of what I'm about to share is far greater than any story I could have ever made up. Created 
or achieved within my own strength. I'm just a normal person that has lived the journey with its ups and downs, probably just like most of you. That through it all, my journey to date, I can honestly say that I couldn't have done it alone. And if it wasn't for the intervention of something far greater than myself, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. My prayer today is that in hearing just a portion of my life story, you would leave here encouraged, inspired, with a deep sense of peace and a renewed hope for whatever you might be facing right now. Let's just take a moment to pray. God, right now I just ask for your guidance, your help, Lord God. This is your story. And right now I just pray and invite your spirit just as it is right now, just flowing in and through this building, Lord. Just speak to the hearts of every single person that is sitting right here now. I pray that you would open up your heart and open up your mind to receive all that he's wanting to say to you in the next 40 or so minutes. In your precious name, amen. Um, just before I show you a short film, I thought it'd be a great moment just to stop and just set the scene. Basically, the film that we're about to watch is uh, from a particular moment in my life and it was kind of towards the end of my journey in this particular experience. So I thought it'd be important just to kind of set the scene and, and, and work out how we've got to this point. Um, I'll try and be really quick and just race through just to give you a bit of a perspective. But um, my journey started at the age of two months old when not long after I was born I was diagnosed um, with a disease that was called aplastic anemia, which meant that I didn't make red blood cells. I didn't make any form of blood within my body. Um, and it wasn't even if my, my blood cell makeup in me even made a slightest or was in some type of uh, disarray, it just never functioned. So at the time, um, I guess the available treatment and medication for me was to have uh, intravenous blood packs given to me every fortnight and that would mean that for every fortnight my mum and myself and my father and myself would travel to hospital and get blood bags put into me it would normally take about half a day and what that would do was help blood to circulate through my body it would last about two weeks and then we'd be back there again to do the same process and for me, this, this form of life or this form of treatment lasted up to seven years. When my parents were unfortunately confronted with the decision that this treatment that we had been giving, the doctors strongly advised that we could no, do it, no longer do it anymore. And the reason for that is that because I wasn't personally producing my own blood, the iron in my body was becoming extremely or horrifically high in its measurement and it wasn't being broken down so on one hand every fortnight we were feeding blood into my body 
but the same process was ultimately killing me in the end because my body wasn't able to shut down the high iron level. So the two options were presented to my parents at the age of seven when I was seven years old. And that was one, either we continue on doing the treatment as per normal, with the likely event that he will eventually just pass away due to the extreme level of iron in his body. Well, the second option was, was that we'd have to undergo a bone marrow transplant. But the significance of this bone marrow transplant was number one, it had never been done on a patient with my condition. It had never been done at the Royal Children's Hospital for my condition as well, let alone in Australia. And even then, shutting down such a fragile body as it was at that stage, the likelihood of the transplant actually working um, was quite low. But I guess, as any parent would do, if that's the only option that you got before you and that's the best option that you've got, you go for it. And so he did. One of the greatest things in my bone marrow transplant that none of us could actually comprehend at the time was that for if this was to work at any point or any level of having success, we had to find a donor that wasn't nearly a match for me, but they had to be at least 99.9% compatible with my blood type. And that was pretty rare. Tests went on later that w weeks that, that followed after the news. And we started by going through our family. And the first miracle that I ever saw was the fact that my sister she was 99.9% .9 compatible with me so the bone marrow transplant took place and I'm excited to say that obviously it worked there were some side effects but quite minimal in the grand scheme of it all. And then after that, I'll enter into a three-year remission period. And the remission period was told to my parents at that time that for the next three years, if Daniel is to remain on an upwards trajectory without any further illness, without any other hiccup, in three years, he'll be clinically cured. What I didn't say earlier is that that bone transplant, or marrow transplant, actually took place on my seventh birthday. By the third year, on the seventh of the eleventh, which is my birthday, up until then, there had been no signs of any backward stepping any source of concern. On my birthday, on that third year, when the remission period was meant to finish, I was diagnosed with my next disease. 
This was a different condition. It was an uh, autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis. And basically the way that this disease worked It would attack and break down all communication from your brain to your nerve endings. Anything that you wanted to do or tell your body to do, it would be trying to do it. But where the nerve ending met met with the muscle receptors, there was a breakdown. Symptoms for this disease often started by the slight onset or something like double vision, a weakness in arms, weakness in your legs, stumbling. And then from that point, you'll take a deep stab down where your body would really start to shut down, where you can't chew. You've got slurred speech or minimal speech. You can no longer walk. And I guess one of the most confronting things is that you lose all sense of your bowel movement until finally that you're incapacitated, unable to control any part of your body. You can't eat and you can no longer speak. And the final part of this disease is when it closes your throat and then it's all over. This would have had to be one of the most hardest diseases to go through. I'd gone through a lot of dis- different illnesses up to this point. I was 11 years old by now. But the way that this disease worked, it was just relentless and it's unknowing of when it was going to trigger whatever one of these symptoms. One minute I walked, the next I fell. One minute I could live something. The next I would smash it as it fell from my hands. One minute I could stand up and the next I couldn't even make my legs move. One minute I could eat and the next I'll be using my hands to open and close my mouth just to be able to chew and be able to swallow. One minute I could speak and the next I could barely say a word. Two years on from this diagnosis, I found myself severely crippled by the disease. And as a consequence, it was unsafe for me to remain at home. I was admitted back into the Royal Children's Hospital where I continued to lay bedridden for months. You're good, Sam. That day for me is that uh, it was a pretty typical day from hospital. I'd been there at that point in time for quite an extended period by that stage. Um, you know, we're talking months of just, just laying there. So we just went about it uh, as far as 
what mum would normally come in and, you know, do her thing, whether it be bathing or uh, taking me for a... Um, at the time, I couldn't walk, so I was up a wheelchair around the hospital or something like that. Um, well, Daniel in hospital was um, on a good day. Uh, it was a very good day. You know, he was cheerful and um, especially with um, the circumstances that he was under. But of course, on a good day, we also had just window periods in it as well. So he wasn't good probably for the whole day, but we really cherished the moments that we had with those good days. And that's what we held on to and captured. So typically later that afternoon, there would always be a change over time between mum having to leave to go and get my sisters and dad would come in from work. I always thought that was amazing because for many, many years, any day that I was in hospital, that, um, you know, not, not only was mum there spot on in the morning at nine o'clock, like, never early, never late, it was nine o'clock every day. Um, it was quite amazing. And then as soon as dad finished work, religiously, he was there to take over. But in particular, my role at night was after work was to wash Daniel down because he was totally bedridden. Wash him down, clean him to the best of my ability, comfort him, reassure him, pray with him, and make sure he, he went into uh, peaceful sleep. And when I was at peace that he had achieved that, whatever time it was, whether it be night or morning, I would then make my way back home and get ready for the next day. And then the next day, Jenny would come in after she settled the girls at school and the routine just continued. And then I, I would, it would continue, continue until what happened happened. You know, when I reflect back on my body at that part on that day, that we were in a pretty bad way. Um, you know, for months I'd been laying there. Um, I'd lost all mobility in, in my limbs. Um, the disease itself had kind of crippled me. When they told us about it, he actually had all the last stages first. So we didn't have a great deal to work up to that. And I think that this, the uh, devastation for him was that he was um, home one minute, running around, playing, enjoying things, to absolutely be able to do nothing at all from the head down to the toes. In the way that that kind of disease worked was that um, it controlled all your nerve endings. So it meant that um, as much as in your mind you wanted to do something or wanted to perform an action or a task that um, unfortunately the nerve endings just wouldn't receive it, the muscle. Um, I couldn't speak because my tongue had kind of um, just become very weakened and any type of speech was very kind of like a groan, if anything. Um, you know, a lot of my food and stuff like that was either done right through drip fed and, um, but I really did feel at that point that really um, I was kind of just, I was really just waking up and then and, and just falling back to sleep. I think the normality of what was happening had, had hit him and, and him wanting to be like a normal kid was clearly losing it because we had gone through his first seven years. We had the, he had the bone marrow transplant it was successful. We had three or four good years, and then all of a sudden we find out he's got myasthenia gravis. And uh, as much as the doctors were trying to do medical, 
treatment for him, and as much as they tried to do some surgical treatment for him, it was deteriorating. I think he found a lot of peace in his music, in playing drums and his piano. And it was devastating to see that go. Um, and I just think that that's what really kept him going, you know, through those other years. Um, yeah, so it was a very, very tough time. And especially as parents to be able to, um, you know, see how quick it just all went downhill. I actually mind everything that had happened beforehand with other diseases or other illnesses. Uh, they were very physical in a sense, or they were very um, manageable to some degree, and there was always an answer for it. But this one was different in the sense that um, there was no cure, and I knew that, and I knew that very early days after I was diagnosed with the disease. Um, my parents were really good in not hiding information but telling me in a very sensitive way what, what we're up against. Well, as a father, it cuts you. It, it cuts you deep because there is no answer. As I said, there is no answer when your child says, you know, why is this happening to me? And there is, you are limited in what you can do to heal them, but you use every source you can and absolutely the main source is our spiritual source. At the end of the day, that's all we had, you know what I mean? We just had to rely totally on God. I don't actually think that I ever really just sat down and just burst out and just asked God for this miracle. I think what I did was to ask God to come into his life and meet his need. There needed to be a brave face put on by myself because, um, you know, a lot of people had faith in me um, I was always informed about prayer petitions that were going on at church, nightly vigils and stuff like that, that people would just be there um, around the clock, just um, I just felt that I had to be strong because people already had faith in me. So during the day, I just wanted to um, reflect the sense of um, that things were okay and um, that um, I was going to be strong. And uh, But I think it really hit me at night. It became very evident when I was on my own and thinking about things and thinking about, you know, how long is this going to go for? What is the outcome of this? You know, for two and a half years, I'd been pushed around in a wheelchair and consumed thousands upon thousands of tablets. You know, I'd be taken up to like 50 to 60 pills a day just to kind of get yourself in a state of being able to at least be awake and be able to talk and I just couldn't believe that this would be my life. Well that particular night Daniel wasn't his normal self to the best of my recollection. He, he was agitated, he, he was uncomfortable. It was probably the first time I ever truly believed that um, 
I was starting to question what the outcome was going to be in all this. Um, and for that, that made me very anxious and very concerned. When Dad came, um, uh, I just felt that the night was going to be different for for months and months due to, due to the state of my physical being that um, all my bathing was done in like a plastic bath, a portable bath that was kind of brought to my bed. Um, so I've never, I hadn't seen a shower in um, months. I just felt that I was being robbed and robbed every day of more of, of what I had known as being normal. Um, I felt that I was entitled to have a bath or a shower as a very, very strange as it seems that. Um, so that night I remember asking Dad a couple of hours after being there that um, I just said to Dad that um, I really want to have a shower tonight, Dad. And he looked at me a bit puzzled because he knew that for a long time I haven't hadn't been able to have that. And um, I just said to him that I really think I need to have it. And my dad, dad had just come from work. He was like all in a business suit, like. He hadn't come prepared to take me to a shower and he just said to me, if that's what you want, son, we'll make it happen. But I saw the, the pain in his statement and I thought, I, I just got to make this work. I don't know how, but I just got to make this work. Because to tell him no was the last thing as a father I wanted to do at that stage. I went back and took me jacket off and me tie because I'd come straight from work threw him over my shoulders like a sack of potatoes and I'm not being disrespectful that's how he was because he was totally limp threw him over my shoulders carried him to the shower and I think that's where the moment when Daniel somewhere in amongst that with waters everywhere and how much of it was water from the shower and how much of it was my tears and how much of it was his tears will never work out but there's enough water to cover it all and he turned very limited that he could. He turned with his head and asked me, or stated to me actually, I'm in trouble, aren't I, Dad? And uh, as a father, I just said, you're only in trouble, son, if you give up. Don't give up on me, otherwise we are all in trouble. You know, I remember just sitting in that shower and just thinking to myself that it was the one time that I really felt a sense of um, a bit of worth coming back into the puzzle. Like my, I just felt that as weeks went on in that hospital, my body was like a puzzle and pieces of it kept just getting torn apart. And sitting on that chair in that, in that shower and with Dad there just made it feel that, you know, even as small as it was, one of the pieces were getting put back in. It felt good. It felt good just to be able to sit there and just um, do that together. You know, my dad got drenched 
He was gents. He had like, he had all his business clothes on him. But I think back and just think how crazy we were that night. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter that night. It was probably not long after I got into bed and just was laying there. I was talking about just the the disease and and the level that had kind of crippled me and. I didn't mind that I couldn't walk and I didn't mind that I couldn't use my hands and could barely talk, but the fact that I couldn't smile anymore, it really bothered me because that's who I was inside. And um, I remember sharing that with Dad that night, that how I felt I'd been robbed of my smile, how I felt I'd been robbed of being able to live what I felt I should be doing. I never said it to dad that night, but it was the point in which I just, just felt like I'd be better off passing tonight than going on anymore. Because if this is a state of it all, I don't want it. And I remember um, starting, starting to cry and just saying to dad how tough this was. And, and I remember saying to him, um, you know, through all the broken tears and stuff like that, just, why dad, why has this happened to me? But I remember he gripped my hand and on one hand and wiping tears from the other side of my face. And he just said to me, son, that um, I don't know why this happened to you. I really don't. But all I know is that um, God will ultimately use this for his glory. I said to Dad that I want to walk again. So we prayed that night together and Dad prayed and I prayed and I shared with Dad that that's, it. that's what we're praying for. I didn't know exactly when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen, but that's what I wanted. Because, you know, Dad was asking me, what do you want, son? What is it that you most want? And let's pray for it now. Let's give it to God and hand it all to him, everything to him. And um, so we did. One, I wanted to reassure him that it's not over and, and to reassure Daniel that our prayers tonight have to focus, Daniel, that it's not over, that you will not give up, because then we won't give up and we will pray together to get you up out of this bed. This is not why you were born. This is not why the Lord kept you the last 12, 11, 12 years. This is not what the Lord has taught us with the oceans of prayers that went up for you to leave you laying in bed. You're going to get up, you're going to walk and we're going to get out of here. I think he sparked hope. No, I, didn't, I don't think he, he did. I think his honest answer helped me to see that despite my lack of seeing what was happening around me, he was prepared to stand in the gap and reinforce that hope into me. And I needed it. I needed it probably more than I actually understood. Um, but I probably didn't understand the significance of it at that point, if I was to be brutally honest. Um, but in hindsight, when I look back, I think it was the perfect response for that moment. It wasn't two days later that um, I remember waking up 
and my body language and my excitement that morning was totally different to what I had seen in many, many days. Um, I felt strong. I felt um, a lot more alive in my body. I was doing things. I was moving my hands, moving my feet, moving my head more. Um, and there was a sense that something dramatic had changed. Like, not, not, it wasn't small. Like, <laughs> this was a significant change because to go from what I had been doing the past six months to wake up and feel what I was feeling now, it didn't, it didn't sit right. But I was excited. I remember mum came in again around that nine o'clock mark and here I am sitting up in bed. I hadn't propped myself up in bed in ages because I just didn't have the strength to do it. But I stacked the pillows, sat up and um, mum's walked in and she's first looked at me and she's just, I could sense without her saying anything, she'd noticed that something had changed. But she asked me how I was, what's going on. And I just straight out said that, um, I reckon I've been healed. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, me, me and Dad have been praying for this the other night, and I really do believe a shift's happened. And um, I actually want to walk. I want to walk. I hadn't walked in months. I actually I hadn't walked months because I'd been in bed, but even before that, I hadn't walked in years because I'd been in a wheelchair. She goes, but you can't. I said, but I'm saying, I'm like, I can. Like, I know I can do it. And I'm like, Mum, I genuinely believe something's happened and my body is in a far better place than it was the other night. He hasn't given up and he wants to walk. We all want him to walk, whether it be the hospital staff or his family. Now he wants to walk, he will walk. Like, I'm not gonna lie, like the first couple of steps were a bit shaky, like we turned out of the bed with one of those walking frames and stuff. So after a few steps in the walker, just around the bed, I then said to him, no, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna probably walk, I wanna walk long. So then sat me back in the wheelchair and they um, wheeled me out and um, they parked the wheelchair at one end of the hospital. And they said, do you need any help? And I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna walk. So I stood up and um, to be honest, I actually shot myself because I knew it was gonna happen. I think I had a conviction in my heart that, you know what, God had actually done something. So I stood up and I started to walk, taking a couple of steps, and then by the 15th step, I was jogging, and then halfway down the corridor, I was running. I remember this, like, as an 11-year-old, just thinking that this is just, like, amazing, like this, like, I didn't think about how unusual it was because it felt so normal. And I remember looking back at mum and dad and mum was crying 
didn't take much for mum to cry, but she was crying and the doctors are there and they're trying to work out what's happened. And I'm like, I just knew it. I just knew it. So tests went on later that week to try and work out what had happened, but even the test didn't, it didn't add up right with the tests and the, and the results didn't show how this could all be happening. To see Daniel get up and walk, it was like the, the, the final tick, the final reassurance that don't give up. Don't give up, whether it's the person you're praying for or yourself, don't give up. Believe, ask, believe again, and let's watch that mountain move. It won't always happen instantly, but just let the time happen because there's a lot to be learnt in that period while you're waiting for your answer and you're waiting on the Lord to deliver his answer to your need. There's a lot to learn in that. And I think the most reassuring thing for me was any thought that the Lord didn't have me and my family in the palm of his hand was extinguished. I've got all of you, I've got all of you, Abe, you, your wife, your children, and Daniel in the palm of my hand. I don't regret, not one minute do I regret the life that I went through or the season of living through that. Um, and even before that day and before other illnesses that I went through, um, I was positioned in that season for that time for a purpose. God is an amazing, amazing being. And his love for me through this whole period never ever changed once. And my wish is that just that other people would be able to experience this, the love of what God has to offer. You know, life's still got its challenges. Um, and never ended up rosy at the end of all that. But I believe we've all come out stronger for the season of what we went through. And our passion and, and, and hunger for God and love for God is, it's just strong because we know, we just know that he's real. We just know he is who he says he is. It's those promises and that reliance that you have on those promises that um, I think have really become very, very true to me. Um, yeah, I'm just grateful. I'm thankful for God, thankful for what he's done. And um, yeah, just blessed. Feel very, very blessed. conscious of time but there's just a few things I wanted to touch on before we close up today you know I'm 34 and this experience was you know I was 13 at that time and it's probably not until now when I look back at it in probably the last three years that God's kind of revealed things to me about that period of my life and, and really showed me some things that have kind of been anchor points to 
just how I view circumstances and how I view obstacles, crisis, challenges, hurdles, adversity, all those things that each and every one of us have to go through at some point rather or another. And I'm very conscious that even sitting in this room, that right now there would be people going through your own turmoil and and going through your own crisis. One of the things that God showed me and has revealed in recent years is the sense of what it means to be overwhelmed by your crisis or to be overwhelmed by the actual adversity itself. You know, being overwhelmed can be a positive emotion or a positive feeling to experience. But though often when dealing with crisis and adversity and obstacles, it is so easy to become negatively consumed in it and allow it to overwhelm us in a destructive way. You know, like I said, some of you sitting here right today, battling with your own circumstance, your own hurdle. Some might even be facing an illness, a chronic illness. For some of you, It might even be just a recent experience. For others, it could be an experience that's been going on for many years. And through days and days and nights and nights, there has been times in your own life where you've questioned where God is in all this. It has consumed you and gripped you so much that any sense of hope beyond this circumstance would seem so distant and so far away and unattainable. You've become overwhelmed by your anxiety. You've become overwhelmed by your depression. You've become overwhelmed by potentially an eating disorder. You've become overwhelmed by just your future in general. What does that look like? What does... What does tomorrow even look like for you, let alone in five years or in 10 years' time? Just so consumed in that overwhelming sense that it just occupies your mind. Like from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep. I challenge you today. My challenge to you today is rather than being overwhelmed by the circumstance that confronts you right now, why not try and be overwhelmed by God? A God whose strength is far greater than ours. A God whose promises of love and His endearing thoughts of what He has for you. You can't even comprehend or begin to fathom the depth of the love that God has for you. And 
rather than being overwhelmed by this crisis, something that is totally out of our control, let's start to get overwhelmed by God and allow Him to change us from the inside out, allow Him to be the anchor point in this circumstance. You know, for some of you, where you're in a crisis right now and it's been going on for years and for such a long time you've tried to work out different ways of how we're either going to get up around it, over it, through it and for years and years you've just stepped forward, stepped forward, dodging, stepped forward, dodging but just to get kicking back. But then you find, oh, no, i just got to go in harder. Maybe if I just try a bit harder, I'll be able to push through and maybe get to the other end. Just maybe, just maybe, it was never your battle to fight. Maybe it was never, ever your battle to fight in the first place. And for so many years, you've tried and tried to come up with a solution or come up with the circumstance of how we're going to get through this, but it was never your battle to fight. God, overwhelm yourself with Him. Saturate yourself in the presence of God. Allow Him to invade you and allow Him to give you a new focus. Shift your focus. And I guarantee that you will discover a peace that surpasses all understanding. The second thing I want to touch on is to do with the notion of accepting something versus acknowledging it. For a long time, and even still to this day, I would never accept that I had an illness. I would never accept that I faced a disease, that all the crises and all the obstacles that I went through I would never accept it. Because in my mind, the day that I ever chose to accept the illness would be the day that I gave it free license upon my mind and my heart and start to take over everything that I ever saw about myself. See, this jacket if this was to resemble myasthenia gravis, which is the autoimmune disease that we talk about, at the moment, I put it on. You know, five minutes ago, I could have had this jacket off, but now it's on me. My movement, it's restricted me. I now have to think about this jacket and what I can and what I can't do. There's things that this jacket, in wearing this jacket, has now shifted my focus and started to put a limitation on my life that was no longer, that wasn't there before this jacket was ever put on me. What I do recognize is that I have to acknowledge that the circumstance is real. See, if I was to acknowledge it, 
It's not on me now. It's there. But we're going to carry it. It's a part of me, but it's not who I am. And each day, that obstacle or that crisis that you bear or that you might be facing right now, all you've got to do is hold it at the side. See, I still have free movement in my body. I haven't changed. I'm still the same character that I am inside. But just right now, I'm having to hold this jacket. And I don't know how long I'm going to have to hold this jacket for. It could be days, it could be months, it could be years. But I'll acknowledge it. Because if I don't acknowledge it, it's stupid. I'll be living in an oblivion to what is the reality of what I'm facing right now. So you have to acknowledge it. But I'll never accept it. The last point I want to touch on today is in the notion of, give me one sec. last thing is to do with hope you know hope is an amazing and even more so hope in God is unshakable one of the most fragile things of hope is when you don't have faith see without faith is it imp- it is impossible to have hope hope without faith is purely a wish with no substance Through this experience, God has taught me time and again what it means to have a resilience of faith, to have an anchor of faith. Faith is what has driven my hope to believe that the outpouring of the, or or the answer to what my circumstance is, it's the faith that has built the hope. And it's the faith in God. But we're not talking about any form of faith here. It's God's faith. But the one thing that has changed me the most in understanding this whole concept is that faith must be anchored in love. It has to be. It was through love that I was able to experience faith that would then go on to build my hope. If there's no love, there is no faith. If there is no faith, you'll never have hope. You know, today we come together to celebrate the greatest act of love we could ever imagine. A God that loved us so much that He'll be willing to sacrifice His one and only Son that we, each and every one of us, would have an opportunity to be reconnected to Him. You know, His desire to be with us would overshadow the immense pain He would have felt that day as He watched His Son crucified for you, for you, for you, you, 
you, you, and me. For all of us. But the greatest thing of all is that not even death could keep him down. Three days later, Jesus, the Son of God, would appear, having defeated death and sin, to, to, to fulfill all that was written and promised beforehand. He's alive. He's alive. Without question, without doubt, God is alive. My life journey is but a testament of His amazing power, authority, strength, but above all, His unending love. You know, as I bring this to a close today, there's two things I want to do. One is that I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. You know, in a crowd like this, I have no doubt that there'll be people facing their own positions of turmoil, obstacles, battling through illness, anxiety, depression. For such a long time, it has felt hopeless and such feelings of despair have crippled your mind to think, like I said, for any ounce of thinking that there would be a change. But I want you to give me the opportunity to invite the God into this circumstance. I want to unite together with you today in prayer and believe for the same victory, not only in the miracle. See, it's not the miracle itself that is the greatest thing of my story. It was the understanding of knowing who the miracle maker was. So I just ask, if that is you today, if I could pray for you, I just ask right now that you just begin to stand. See, there was a time when I laid in bed, unknowing of what my future was. But for me to make any change in my life, I just had to take one step. Even when I had the doubt, even when I'd lost hope, all I had to do was take one step. So I'm asking now, if that is you today, please let me pray for you. Right now, if that's you, please stand. I'll wait. Don't let this opportunity pass by. No more do you have to do this alone. Come on, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Because I know how important this is to every single person 
that is willing just to take that one step. I'll wait. He waited. I'll wait. Thank you, Lord. Right now, church, I just ask that we close our eyes as a sign of respect as we pray. God, you're amazing. You're amazing, Lord. And my prayer for every single person that is standing before you today, Lord, that right now you'll pervade their life with a love, an unrelenting love that would bring peace, that would bring warmth, that would bring a surety to their life right now, Lord God. You know, each of the circumstances that every one of these individuals have, have taken that step of courage, just a step, just one step, one step. And I just ask, Lord God, my prayer is for a holy intervention. God, I just ask for those that are suffering from a form of illness that has been plaguing you for a while now, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it may be. Right now, Lord God, I just ask that your breakthrough, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, would come and meet them at their very point in need. Stir it up, Lord God. Stir it up of faith. To believe for the miraculous. God, you are so big. You are so mighty. You know, for each of these people that are standing right now, as their eyes are still closed, there's a couple of things I want to tell you. Your decision to stand right now is far greater than what you might be thinking and the very fact that that courage just to stand up and say God I need you I need you to intervene can I just say something to you I want you to know that each one of you are heaven's best kept secret. And as you start to allow that word just to pervade your heart over the next couple of weeks, that you are unique, you are special, you are loved, that He's got you in the palm of His hands. And together, we're going to get through it. Together with God, we're going to get through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. There's one more thing I'd like to do. And that is, as you've heard me speak today, from the very start to the very end, you've walked into this place, maybe by invitation, 
maybe just to come to an Easter service. But this love and this God that I've been sharing about and talking about and testifying about, you've never had that opportunity to be, have that real for you. For years you've gone on about your life, trying to fulfill it, trying to do things and fill a void that still to this day there's a sense of emptiness, a sense of what my future is before me, a sense of that I just want this hope. I just want this hope that you talk about, Dan. Like, if he's done it for you, if he's been there for you every step, every day, without question, I want to know who this God is. You know, for some of you not knowing who God is, you sit here with a past that haunts you and a future that may be paralyzed by the unknowing of what is to come. What is life? What is it for me? My dreams, my aspirations, my hopes. You know, today, I just want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus, into a relationship with Jesus, who can come upon your life and make all things new. Give you a sense of worth, of value, of plan, of understanding, of direction. All of it. So with our eyes closed. If this is you today. I just ask that you raise your hand. Look me eye to eye. If you've never known Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, but today you would like to be introduced to Jesus. You'd like to hand over the reins of your life to a God who so dearly loves you and wants to be a part of your every life. If that is you today, right now I just ask that you'd lift your hand. Lift it high for me. Meet me eye to eye. that is you today that has lifted your hand, I want to join together in a prayer, a prayer that is all about inviting our Lord and Jesus Christ to come and live within our life, a prayer that is the beginning of a new start, 
of a new future, of a new hope founded in God. Church, I ask with our eyes closed that you just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I need a new start. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I give my life, all of my sins. I turn from my old ways to trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe you rose again to give me new life. I place my hope in you. Make me a brand new person. Give me a brand new start. And I will live for you all the days of my life. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give everyone a round of applause. You know, right now, people have just received grace, hope, love, and mercy. Thank you all for your time. Very generous. I pray that you'd walk from these doors today, remembering of the risen Saviour, be inspired, be encouraged for the greater days ahead. That's fantastic. Hey, it's not just a great story, it's a great life, isn't it? And it's still unfolding. He's 34 years old and I can just see the hand of God on him and it's just amazing. You know, the resurrection power, this resurrection hope goes beyond death. Did you know that? Now, we, we think we, we just live in a, just in a material world. We live in a world that's limited. But, you know, what, what God promises is eternal. And so sometimes, you know, there are some people, you know, a friend of mine, his son, Christian lad, his father's a pastor, got struck with lightning a year ago. How do you answer that? But this hope, this resurrection hope goes beyond sickness and death. That's the power of God. We're not separated. Death does not separate us. My wife preached on Sunday. She made this comment that hell is not just about fire and brimstone eternal damnation it's about the separation of a loving God that's what hell is but the power of God is that not even death can separate us from the love of God come on stand to your feet this morning come on just for a moment lift your hands towards heaven and you know it doesn't matter what circumstance you go through that we go through doesn't matter even when the day comes that death does come knocking on our door we have this resurrection hope that his love his love is with us in all times father we thank you we bless you we thank you for 
Daniel's life, we can see the hand of God. We see the power of resurrection hope in his life. We thank you that even today, Lord, that that is accessible to all of us. We thank you for that. We bless you and we lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, we're going to finish with this song. Hey, have a great, great Sunday. There's coffee and there's even Easter eggs in the back. And thank you for coming. Have a blessed, blessed day today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Come on, let's clap our hands. Wait.